Welcome to Casting Hope, a sermon podcast of Hope Presbyterian Church in Columbus, Ohio. My name is Joe Hack, lead pastor at Hope, and we are so glad you're listening in wherever you are. In this moment of social distancing, we hope that our audio and streaming resources meet you where you are at and help you stay connected to God and to His promises. Once again, and it is like my heart is singing to see you all here and to be here again. So you know, our hope and plan is to gather like this for the remainder of this month. Our hope and our plan and our prayer is to then have access to our own building for the following month. And through the summer, we're going to play this by ear as it goes. And we often, we really request and, and really covet your prayers for this. But so, you know, moving forward, at least in the immediate near future, our hope is to gather like this weather permitting. And this is stretching our weather permitting language, which is good for us. So we know kind of what the line is. Um, if you all start booking towards your cars right now, uh, I know it's time to wrap up and I'll finish up in my living room. How's that sound? Sound good? But as long as you guys are sitting out there, I'm going to keep preaching. Deal? Okay, great. I want to encourage you also later on tonight, we have an opportunity uh, for a discussion on the intersection of faith and work. The intersection of faith and work is something that we feel passionate about. We see it as a vital part of our vision as a church. And we are reading as a church a book called Every Good Endeavor. You don't have to be reading this to partake and to even uh, take advantage of this Zoom discussion that we'll be having tonight. And so be sure to, to log in on that. If you haven't, uh, we, it's, it's okay. You haven't missed your chance. Uh, we would still love to see you. Aaron Batenhaab will be leading our discussion. It's really just a summary of what the book is. So if you haven't read it, uh, guess what? Good news. You're in luck. You don't have to have read it really because we're going to go over a really good overview of it. And then we're going to have a discussion. We're going to talk about it. And we really hope it encourages you as you think about how to connect your Monday through Saturday to your Sunday. But this morning, I want to turn again to uh, Mark chapter 12, verse 28. As we're casting vision as a church, a big part of that vision is what we're calling redemptive hospitality. Redemptive hospitality. It's been said that there's two types of people that come to church. There's guests and there's hosts. And we want everybody who is a member or moving towards membership in our church community to see themselves fundamentally as a host. And not just at our church on Sunday, but everywhere and at every moment. Hope hosts everywhere. That's a core part of our vision moving forward. We envision hope in 10 years time to be a church of hosts, all skillful in the art of redemptive hospitality. Last time we talked about this subject, we called this the lost art of table setting. Next week, we'll talk about the lost art of conversation. There is a hospitable way to talk, according to scripture, and to use our words. But today we're going to focus on what missiologist Mike Frost calls the lost art of neighboring. To do this, I want to read Mark 12, starting in verse 28. This is the word of God. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another. And seeing that he answered them well, asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, the most important is hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. 
And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second is like this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Lord, with the words of my mouth and with the meditation of all of our hearts here, gathered here uh, in this parking space, but also anyone gathered and, and joining us through this live stream, would the meditation of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you, our rock and our redeemer? Holy Spirit, empower this time. We need you. And it's in Jesus' name we ask this. Amen. All right. This thing might fly. I might, might become a parasail. I'm glad I'm not attached to it because I would go with it. One of my favorite things about this past year, and I can count probably on one hand what those are, was that the house to our left was empty for most of it. Um, now, that, now, that, now it's filled with very lovely people, okay? Uh, and, and so I'm ashamed of this position as I tell you this. But it is true. I enjoyed not having neighbors. This is not a good thing. Uh, I am a bad neighbor. When I rake my yard, I rake up to the property line and no further. When I shovel snow, I begrudgingly shovel the sidewalk, the neighborhood sidewalk. When sociologists publish reports that says that most people don't know their neighbors' names, I am who they are talking about. I know what kind of dog they walk. I know what kind of car they drive. I do not know their name, and they do not know mine, sadly. I'm exaggerating a little bit, but not that much. I don't think I'm alone here. I don't think we've ever, as a culture, been more connected through digital media, and yet lonely in our homes and in our apartments. We have never lived so close together, and yet so far away. Did you know that you are less likely, statistically, to know your neighbor's name if you live in an apartment complex than if you lived in a home? Which means we might share a wall with our neighbor even. But we do not share lives. But God calls us to something different, doesn't he? He invites us to something called neighbor love. This radical idea of neighbor love. In the passage we just read, Jesus summarizes the heart of God with two passages from scripture. The first is this ancient prayer from Deuteronomy called the Shema. Shema. Faithful Jewish men and women would pray the Shema at the beginning, middle, and end of each day, and still to this day, which orients their hearts to God. Love the Lord your God with all of who you are. But did you notice that Jesus adds to this Shema prayer? He adds a verse from Leviticus. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. One New Testament scholar argues that this is no small thing. And that neighbor love, because of this, becomes a core, and I'm quoting, a core Christian ethic for relating to others. Love thy neighbor as yourself. So in other words, neighbor love is our calling card, according to King Jesus. But sadly, something has changed. I've noticed these days Christians aren't noticed for their neighbor love. 
I'm willing to bet, actually, if I ran a survey in my own neighborhood asking, would you rather have a Christian family move in next door to you or a non-Christian family live next door to you? Sadly, I think most folks would choose non-Christian. So we need to recover the lost art of neighboring. This is our calling card. This is our heartbeat. This is who Jesus shapes us into. We are not our own. We do not live for ourselves. Jesus has released us into the lives of others. We are free to love. We don't need anything because of all that Jesus has done for us. And so we love our neighbors. Even as we love God. So let me just ask this morning, what exactly characterizes the art of neighboring? And as we think as a church about our vision, how could we incorporate the art of neighboring into our very DNA as a church, Hope Church? Well, as I survey the scriptures, I notice three things that characterizes the art of neighboring. And the first is action. And the second is incarnation. And the third is what I'll call tension. Let's talk about all three. So the art of neighboring involves action. It's characterized by doing. Take a look at Galatians 6, 9 and 10, or you can listen along. Galatians 6, 9 and 10 says this. And let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. And listen here. So then, the Apostle Paul says, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. And especially to those who are of the household of faith. So for Paul, our salvation, which he just spent so much of Galatians unpacking, our salvation ought to issue into action. We are not saved by our good works, but we are, according to Paul, saved for good works. This passage shows us that, that neighboring involves action, doing work. Notice that neighbor love is wearisome. We're told to not grow weary doing good. Implying that doing good is hard work. You don't have to be told do not grow weary about something that comes naturally or easily. Neighbor love is wearisome. It involves hard work. Neighbor love is also concrete we are told to do good as we have opportunity. This means neighbor love is concrete. We love our actual neighbors. Not a theoretical neighbor love. An actual neighbor love. As we have opportunity. That means that as things present themselves in real time and in real space, we do good to our neighbor. And then lastly here, neighbor love is everybody. Paul says, do good to everyone. And then he says, especially the household of faith. And so we might gravitate to that phrase and say, okay, our duty is to take care of each other as a, as a church family. And that would be correct. We drop everything for each other. But Paul doesn't neighbor our labor. Paul doesn't 
limit our neighbor love to the church family, but to the human family. He extends it out to everybody. And so neighbor love is characterized by action, by doing good to actual people. Not thinking good, posting good, feeling good, no, doing good. Do action. Years ago, in our first Columbus apartment, in the middle of the night, I heard my neighbor's car outside, and it was winter. I heard the the tires spinning right outside our bedroom window. And I said I heard it because I didn't do anything about it. I just heard it. It kind of stopped there. And so a few days later, in a random place, I ran into my neighbor, that neighbor. And he told me how he got stuck in the back parking space of our apartment. (laughs) And I was like, okay, keep going. He was an equestrian vet, a horse doctor. And he was called in for an emergency in the middle of the night. And my heart started to sink as the story unfolded. Because all he needed was a push. He told me the horse made it. I know that's what you're all thinking. (laughs) Please tell me the horse made it. Which is great. But I still had to reckon with my inaction. Oh, I could have given at that moment a perfect theology of neighbor love. But when I heard the tires spinning, I stayed in my warm bed. Neighbor love does. It does. I mean, aren't you glad? Aren't you so glad that that the love of God does? That That the neighbor love, we'll call it, even of God himself to you, is one characterized by costly action? Aren't you so desperately glad that that is true? <laughs> that he loves you, his neighbor, no, even his enemy, in loving and in costly ways. In Ephesians 5, I want you to listen to Paul again. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and a sacrifice of God. You see the logic. We love because we are beloved. That's why we love. That's how we love. Our cup is not only filled with the love of God, it overflows with the love of God. That's the that's really the purpose of the love of God for us. We don't sit on our hands with the love of God. We enable it to flow through us into costly neighbor love. So let me just ask you, what is one simple, simple thing that you can do to help your actual neighbor today or tomorrow or this week? And I say help, and this is important. I say help because it tends to ground the word love into action. Do you know what I mean? When you say the word help, it's an action word. When you say the word love, it tends to be an emotion word. And I got this from the author Paul Miller. He often replaces the word love with helpfulness as he's reading the scriptures. How can I help my neighbor? 
How can I help my kids today? How can I help my neighborhood? The art of neighboring involves action. Helpfulness is action. Okay, that's number one. Number two, the art of neighboring involves incarnation. Incarnation. So, incarnation is a big word, but it simply means in the flesh. And it describes how Jesus became what he wanted to save. And so, what would it mean to love our neighbors like this? Becoming what we want to save. Well, number one, it means that we are servants. So, you can look with me at 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Verse 19, or you can listen along. The Apostle Paul says, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. So to the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not myself being under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside of the law I became as one outside of the law, not being outside of the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside of the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by means, by all means, I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. Incarnational neighbor love means we lay down our preferences for the sake of those we are serving. We so desperately want to sh- we want them to share in the blessings that we ourselves are experiencing from Jesus. We so desperately want that that we lay aside everything we possibly can that would hinder our witness in our message. No, we don't water down our obedience to Jesus. That's definitely not what Paul is saying. But we gladly lay down everything else. We are, in the words of Martin Luther, subject to none, subject to all. The freedom we have in Christ is a freedom to serve. So incarnation means we're servants. It also means we are involved. Involved means we're in people's lives. So look with me a chapter later. We're listening along. Chapter 10, verse 23. The Apostle Paul says, All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. There's neighbor good. Neighbor love. He goes on, eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising any question on the grounds of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. If one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you are disposed to go, eat whatever is set before you without raising any question on the ground of conscience. And so a lot can be said about this passage. In fact, we worked through it months ago. But I don't want you to miss the obvious. What's the obvious in this passage? Paul assumes that these believers are eating with people in their neighborhood that do not belong to the fellowship of Jesus. It's his working assumption. 
This means neighbor love is receiving hospitality from others. It's not just giving hospitality, but it's being invited into people's homes as well. Which means, of course, we have to have significant enough overlap with our actual flesh and blood neighbors that it's possible to be invited to dinner. Remember salt? Uh, Salt to work must be both different and immersed in the food or the soil. For salt to work, it has to be both different and immersed. So that scholar R.T. France would say, salt and light have their effect on environment only if it is both distinct from it and yet fully involved in it. And so disciples must function in society, but as an alternative community. Incarnation means involvement, immersion, even as we're distinct. Okay, and then finally, incarnation means we are missionaries. We don't just engage in neighbor love because it brings good vibes or because it's simply kind. I love good vibes and kindness. Anyone else? I love good vibes and I love kindness. This is like my jam. I love going with the flow. I love it when bands start jamming and it sounds great together. And that goes with people too. And people are just having a good time together. It stirs me. I love it. But our goal is so much larger than that. We're not just being kind as a church. It's, it's, it's important. Kindness is a fruit of spirit. So here what I'm not saying. The point though is that we engage in neighbor love. Our horizon is so much bigger. What does Paul say again? He says, I do this so that they may share in the blessings of the gospel. We have a larger horizon for neighbor love. When we help others, when we engage others, when we bless others, when we wake up and make the push, we are participating in God's mission to redeem and to rescue. Years ago, my family came up with a family mission statement. It was this, the hacks are freed by God's costly love to love others in costly ways. Now, I'll just say, we don't live up to this. And in fact, I had to remember what the mission statement was when I was preparing the sermon because it's pretty dusty. It's not like it's on our wall and we're reciting it all the time. So don't get the wrong idea. (laughs) But I thought of that mission statement when preparing this because that's exactly right. It's time to bring that back. Neighbor love means we don't live for ourselves. It means that Jesus freed us for so much more. And this is the paradox that I want you to experience. When you spend your life on others in neighbor love, you are not narrowed, but you are enlarged. Uh, We, as a family, eat Dewey's most Friday nights. uh, And that's pizza. That's a pizza place. And, And the way that pizza works, this is the obvious thing, is that as you serve the pizza... It gets smaller. And it's been said that most of us think about love in this, in this way, like a pizza pie. That the more we give, the smaller our heart becomes. The more we spend, the less our soul is. But the, but the paradox of Scripture is that it's exactly opposite. The more we spend, the more we give away, the more our heart enlarges. Do you want a bigger heart? <laughs> Use your freedom in Christ to serve, to give it away. it 
that our neighbors would share in the wealth that you have in Jesus. Too often we serve others because we want to look good, or we want to be impressive, or we want others to think of us as kind. How much more free would we be in our actions if our motivation was just simply, I want you to share in the fullness I have with Jesus. Neighboring involves incarnation. And then lastly and quickly, it involves tension. Well, what do I mean? Well, the scriptures are clear that Christians are dual citizens right now. On the one hand, we're citizens of our neighborhood. And on the other hand, we are citizens of God's kingdom. That was the wind. Paul says it in this way. He says, in the beginning, so Paul says it in the beginning of his letter to the Ephesians. He says this. This is a simple greeting that Paul gives, but it's rich. He says, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. Do you see what he says? He uses the, he uses, uh, the word in in two ways. In Ephesus, in Christ Jesus. And that's the tension, friends. That's it. We are both exiles and yet we are neighbors. We are both in Columbus and in Christ. So what I want us to do as we consider neighbor love is I want us to consider that this is a tension and I want us to own the tension. So first I want you to own your exile status. In order to love your neighbor well, you need to paradoxically remember that you are in exile as a citizen of heaven. Peter says it well. He says it in chapter 2, verse 11. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and as exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles. Those would be non uh, people who aren't in the church honorable. So that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds. There's that word again. And glorify God on the day of visitation. James, in his letter, warns against friendship with the world, which makes us, quote, enemies of God. So that's, that's, a, that's a warning. We will not love our neighbors well if we identify too closely to our neighborhoods. We will lose our edge, our salt. We will lose that which gives us hope, that which makes us light. And, and guess what else? We will grow weary when neighbor love is hard and messy, which it is hard and messy. We will grow weary if, if, if all we're doing is loving others. And over-identifying with our neighborhood. And yet we are also citizens of Columbus, Ohio. And so I want us to own that, but also own our neighbor status. Whatever neighborhood you live in. If we forget this, we will fail our neighbor love as well. We'll be too heavenly minded for any earthly good, right? Remember what Paul says, let us do good to everyone. Remember, for salt to work, we need to be distinct kingdom citizens 
but immersed Columbus citizens. I've shared before about the difference between Roman monasteries and Celtic monasteries. Roman monasteries were often secluded. Celtic monasteries were in the city center. They saw themselves as an alternative city within the city. And yet when you cross their boundary, it was a very purposeful boundary marker. They, they would often say things are done differently here. They wanted their monastery to be a community that looked like Eden restored. But they wanted it to be in and among the city. They wanted people to come in and out at all times. And they loved this tension. And that phone's going to go flying again. But that's okay. If, if it does, will somebody do it? Great. Um, it is a tension. It just is. It's a, it's a strong tension. And we're going to have to just deal with this dual citizenship. We're just going to have to get used to it. We're going to have to just stop pretending it's not there. If you're like me and you hate tension and you like live for the good vibes, as I said earlier, this is the hardest part about being a Christian these days. It's the tension we feel. Until Jesus returns, you will know you're loving your neighbor well and in Jesus' name if you continue to feel this tension. If you don't feel this tension, it's likely you're getting too comfortable in one citizenship over the other. We're getting too comfortable in our citizenship in heaven if we don't feel the tension because we're not immersed enough. And we're getting, and if we're, if we're comfortable, we're, uh, if we don't feel tension, we might be too comfortable in our citizenship in our neighborhood. And we haven't really counted what cost it is to be a radical disciple of Jesus. But that's the tension. Distinct yet immersed. And that's the lost art of neighbor love. Okay, it's action, it's incarnation, and it's tension. And so what does this mean for us as a church? I just have a few ideas. I want to legislate these ideas. I offer them as a way to sort of uh, provoke your own ideas. Ways that you could apply this art of neighbor love. Ways that you could become more skilled in this art of neighbor love. So here's a few ideas. Start a know their name challenge on your street. Challenge yourself to know all the names on your street. Not just the friendly folks you like, <laughs> but those you have seen for years but never talked to. Okay, and then if, you, if you've already like sort of leveled up on that, anybody leveled up? I know there's people who are amazing and neighbor love out here. Um, if you've already done that, then what if we challenged each other to know some birthdays on our street? Um, our, our actual, our neighbor knows our boy's birthdays and, he's, and she sends gifts across the fence, which is pretty cool. Maybe make something for your neighbor, not just leftovers, but something magnificent. When this pandemic is over, host a block party to celebrate. Be the organizer. Key phrase, when this pandemic is over. When you're raking, shoveling, or mowing, consider going past your boundary markers to serve them. Now, if they're 
somebody who really loves mowing their yard, do not cross your boundaries, amen? Like, don't do that. That would be an affront. That would be bad neighbor love. <laughs> Most people don't mind when you shovel their driveway, though, or rake their leaves. Check in from time to time with someone who might be lonely. Take that risk. Here's one. Don't be creepy as you do all this stuff. I love how uh, Vineyard Columbus describes their mission, naturally supernatural. Uh, We are living spirit-led lives, supernatural lives, but that doesn't mean we get a pass to be weird or to have super bad boundaries in Jesus' name. No. I'll encourage you to talk naturally about the hope that lives within you. How are you coping these days? I ask you sincerely, how are you coping these days? Does Jesus have anything to do with it? Does this church community have anything to do with it? And tell others about that in your neighborhood, in natural ways. Paul says we're the aroma of Christ to everyone. But how can we be the aroma of Christ if we're not close enough to people for them to even smell us, right? Hope we can lead the way in this lost art of neighbor love. We who are loved radically by Jesus. And so, Jesus, we do ask that you would empower our witness in exactly this way, in our neighborhood. And it's in your name we ask this. Amen. Thanks for tuning in. For more information about our church and for more resources like this, visit our website at hopechurchcolumbus.org.